Hello, everybody. This is Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis, the bingeable, the bingeable uh, podcast. I'm sure some of you um, don't know that I've been uh, not producing podcasts for, uh, geez, too many months, folks. Too many months because, honestly, sometimes when you have existential crises, they are not worthy of being recorded. In fact, it's probably best not to record those, but we'll learn more about that during uh, this week in existence in the second half of our show. But for the first half, those of you that uh, don't know, this is the podcast for creativity and other phenomena. And so we start with the creativity part. And this week, we're going to hear a piece that I call Ricky. Arguing with her stepmother put her in a foul mood for the rest of the afternoon. She shouted at Regis Philbin's image on the TV. What do they know about bagels in Des Moines? She fished around under her afghan for the remote and just heard the words pounding in her head like a sledgehammer against an anvil. Pedicure, pedicure, pedicure. She knew that it was her feet that stank. But from 3,000 miles away, do you think she needed a reminder? And hell, Dad divorced her, what, six years ago now? Why was she still calling? Why don't I just change my number and disappear again? To Miami this time. She'll never think to look for me there, right in her own backyard, where the only rain that comes swirls in 180 mile an hour winds and carries Christian names. No, she won't make me enter that piece de resistance again. Not on your life. That Elyon thing kind of put me off my lunch. Flipping through yet another boring issue of AJ's subscription of money, she looked up and caught Ricky Lake's cathode glance. Balancing the clicker on her knee, bored out of her mind, she began to invent scenarios over the din of the pain. Do you think your stepmom really meant to call attention to your feet? No, that's all code for her, for how she plans to dissemble all the nation's biochemical weapons housed in Paraguay. It's just how she talks. When she quotes Elvis lyrics, she's referring to the weapons housed in Corsica. Don't you think you might be getting a little delusional? Now, Ricky, I thought you would be on my side, aren't you? What do you think, guys? A big whoa arises from the studio audience. Well, it doesn't seem like you're getting much support. I have a question, a young George Michael lookalike in the back piped up. Are you taking your medication? Of course I am. Navane, 100 milligrams. Artane, 75 milligrams to counteract the side effects of the Navane. Although I've been trying to tell my doctor for months, that I'm getting these little jerky jaw ticks sometimes over dinner, but he pays no mind. Lithium 80 milligrams, although I think that's just for the doc's sake and not mine, but it is going on about three years now. They've upped my Zoloft to 50 milligrams, so now I have to drink water like a son of a bitch and wear chapstick all day unless I want blood stains on my shirt.
This happens sometimes, I think, when we watch too much television. Too much television. And know a little too much about psychopharmacology. I hope that's not your life. Uh, although, um, you know, yelling at the TV is always a good a good pastime. I know a lot of people are doing it these days. Um, I hope it's uh, coming with some kind of Lipitor. If we're gonna, you know, start quoting all the uh, all the drugs that don't sponsor this this uh, particular podcast. But uh, those of you uh, that know me, some of you do, some of you don't. But some of you that do, you know that I've been teaching. I started teaching at a university um, this semester. It's been quite a thrill. I'm at a local Texas uh, state university. Local is a broad term um, because it's four hours away from where I live. But in Texas terms, that's spitting distance. So it's pretty close. Uh, And I teach playwriting to a group of folks up there. And they are just, just fantastic. They, they, They are asking me tons of questions about about uh, how to write and what to write and my whole my whole um, motive behind teaching this is not so this group of young people can say hey yeah I wrote a I wrote a one-act play once when I was in college I'm actually I kind of I'm on a mission not necessarily a mission to create playwrights although yay if that works Um, but uh, I'm mostly on a mission to create writers as one could imagine, because I'm a big fan of of writing and free rights, as if you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you would know that I talk a lot about free writing, and that's what we do in this workshop that that I run um, up at this university. Uh, we spend a lot of time free writing. And to get these young people to get their mind around what it means to free write, have it not be a journal, but actually have it turn into something that's creative, that has inspired a lot of questions in the group. The best question, the best question that I've received among many is, is there anything we should not write about? And I found that really provocative because of course, in the community that they're in, uh, it's a military town. There's, of course, a, a large Christian presence, as one could imagine, in a smaller military town uh, in Texas. Um, and I think these young people have been raised with certain uh, guidelines, certain ways to be proper, certain ways to uh, kind of put a clamp on their self-expression. And so when you're facing a blank page... And you're facing a blank page that you will eventually turn into somebody else, right? It's not just for you. Uh, you want to make sure that you're not going to break the rules or get in trouble or whatever. I mean, we're still working out it, this in this age group that I'm working with. We're still working out what it means to be punished for doing wrong. Uh, that is beyond uh, just our superego saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, look after yourself. Okay. So the way I answered this question, I hope surprised them. It didn't surprise me because I. I guess I anticipated this question. Uh, I basically said, we are, we are encouraged you to write about anything and everything. This is between you and the page. I assured them, even though they're turning in their notebooks where they write all these free writes, uh, I'm mostly just doing it for page count and just to see if they're, if they're actually taking it seriously to develop a regular writing habit. Um, so I don't really care what they write about. And in fact, I mean, I'll be able to tell if it's a journal entry or if it's a it's a piece of 
you know, working fiction, if we can call it that. Um, but to get them to, to write about whatever they want to write about. And I kind of, I looked beyond the question. I was thinking, okay, so he might be asking about, um, how much can he, uh, use curse words? And, uh, Sure. You know, I I, uh, always encourage people, if you need to use a curse word, use a curse word. In this podcast, we're trying to limit that because we want it to be appealing to a lot of different types of people. And that also is better writing. And this is what I said to the class. I said, I said, if you need to use a curse word or if it feels appropriate for what you're writing, do it. But as writers, I encourage you to look for a better term, a more creative term, a funnier term, a more lambastic ter- term, something that is that is just more than just the knee-jerk perfunctory swearing just to just to belch. You know, you hold in the belch or you creatively figure out how to make a belch come out. Or those of you that are really good at lower GI stuff, you have all sorts of sounds that come out. I mean, really play with with the way that your your instincts want to go play with that that is what we're doing as writers we're using the higher parts of our brain not just the angry and and wounded parts of our brain so um so far i mean there's still been plenty of cursing in all the plays that they're writing but i mean i didn't i said don't worry about what you have to write about so Take it for what it's worth, folks. Um, but I always in- will encourage you to be more creative than less creative. Um, and it doesn't matter what you write about, just that you are writing. Welcome to another installment of This Week in Existence. Well, I mean, it really should be like these last four months in existence. <laughs> um, again, those of you that binge, binge listen, I'm sure, you know, if you've, you've got a really long commute or you're going to drive home to visit your family or something, you might just throw these on and there's enough to, you know, kind of get you from uh, Boston to say Syracuse in a row if you want to just keep listening well probably just to actually probably just to the New York border so you'd be able to drive the mass pike in just one foul swoop listening to the existential crisis that is Hope Lafferty's but um, for those of you that have been waiting and I've been hearing from some of you folks on social media it's like when is the next podcast Hope we we're hopeless or something. <clears throat> so, uh, well, the last four months, it's been four months since my last, it's, oh boy, I sound like I'm in confession. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, I have not produced a podcast in four months. Um, and in that time, I've lied a lot. I haven't lain any, but I've lied a lot. All right, anyway, so uh, shriveling, shriveling under the beaming light of reality, that's what was happening. Um in the last four months. What what happened, folks? Since about six months ago, I realized that I had done something very dangerous. I have priced myself out of the market. For those of you that don't know, I, I work 
independently. I have had my own freelance uh, medical writing and editing business uh, for the last decade, officially the last decade, uh, boy, next week is when I opened up the shingles. So, um, and I've been noticing this, you know, I try to raise my rates, you know, kind of keep pace with things. I've thought about a lot of different ways to repurpose the, the types of work that I do. I offer trainings and things like that. But my medical writing um, and editing work uh, has been at a fairly steady, uh, steady hourly or project rate um, for the last number of years because I realized a few years ago that I was really kind of reaching the top of the market. Like I am not a cheap editor. You know, the Editorial Freelancers Association doesn't even count me. I'm such an outlier with how much I charge because, I don't know, I'm skilled. Oh boy. All right. Well, let's go back to being skilled. Think about 2013. 2013 was, I think, the big boon year for me, 2013 and 2014. And that year I read this book called Lean In, Women Work and the Will to Lead. Some of you might know this book. It was written by Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, and it was a huge book that came out. I think I think it came out in the fall of 2013, and I read it pretty much as soon as it came out. In fact, it was the first, well, it was the second book that I put on my Kindle that I got for Christmas that year. Um, and the first book, of course, was was Nothing by my good friend uh, Anne-Marie Worthcushon. If you haven't read that, that's her debut novel that came out about that same time, um, Nothing by Anne-Marie Worthcushon. But back to uh, Sheryl Sandberg and Leaning In. I read this book and it changed my life, right? I mean, all of us women, I've been reading all these books about money forever just to because I'm, well... I am a true believer somehow, and I am not a true believer in in being motivated by uh, having a financial base. <laughs> I guess I believe very much in higher thought, and I worry less about you know the the day to day because I've set myself up in a very simple and pragmatic way that I can kind of live the way that I need to live without without getting in over my head typically. But the beautiful thing was is I read this book. And I said, okay, yeah, lean in. I've always been that type of feminist that was more interested in invading male space than in protecting female space. I know that sounds a little strange in this political context, perhaps, but this is something that I've always I've always positioned myself as somehow I was in Model UN because that's where the boys were. I went to 4-H camp as opposed to Girl Scout camp because that's where the boys were. Maybe I'm just heterosexual, um, but whatever it is, I uh, I like to be around men. I had no brothers. My father was an architect, you know, so it wasn't like this was this super manly household I grew up in. Uh, in fact, very artistic household in a lot of ways. And with my mother being a chemist, I mean, she was very used to um, being around men all the time too. So this was something that, that women in my family were pretty, pretty good at. My maternal grandmother, who I've talked about before, also, you know, she was one of two girls of like 12 brothers. So again, lots of guys. So we're used to like hanging with the guys and being in that space. So the lean in thing, even though I'm used to and like to be around and work with many men, um, reading this, from a woman who is very experienced in the corporate space and find and being able to resonate with with the messages there were really provocative for me and I really love this book and curiously enough 
I really started to lean in to my business and lean into my rates. Okay, so we're going. We're still going to hang back in 2013 for a minute. All right. So I had bid this this uh, this project. I was working on a grant for uh, some medical researchers in the Pacific Northwest, and I bid a certain amount, which because I'd been you know working on grants for geez you know probably. 12, 12, 13 years by that time. I knew how much time it takes. I'd done enough of them by myself. I knew how much this type of grant, this size of grant would, would, uh, would run for me as far as my project goes. And we start working and probably about four weeks in of a three month project, I'm like, okay, this, this is growing. This is what we call, we call uh, scope creep. And I love the term scope creep because I actually I actually see a visage. You know, I see I see like this, you know, kind of snidely whip, whiplash kind of guy. That's <laughs> like the creep, that scope, the scope creep. Uh, yeah, so uh, this was growing quite a bit. And I am reading um, Sheryl Sandberg's book and I figure, well, if I were not kind, sweethearted, existential crisis ridden Hope Lafferty, I would... I would probably say, you know, you need to pay me more. And then I was thinking, well, let's imagine that this this incarnation of self actually could say, hey, you should pay me more because I'm reading this book, right? And I don't say, hey, I just read Sandberg's book, pay me more. But I went back to them and I said, okay, um, this is what things are looking like. I'm now organizing the documents from 27 authors as opposed to the original five, which is a lot of traffic control. And... You guys keep giving me more responsibility because, oh, I don't know, you're trusting me more and you see that I do good work, etc. So I think that's valuable. And by the end of the project, we have billed, I have billed, uh, three times what I bid. Okay, doesn't make me a great estimator, but it certainly, um, <laughs> certainly helped me understand a little more of the value of my worth. And the good news was, is they paid without question because I kept you know, leaning in. I kept saying, hey, this is what's happening. What can we do? Sure. Yeah. Well, we don't want you to leave, so we'll keep paying you. So it worked. But when I got the final check of that, I was thinking, okay, yeah, (laughs) well, that was a nice, that was a nice run. That was, that was a year's salary for some people. And I will never hear from that client again. (laughs) Why would they call me? Well, lo and behold, fast forward to this spring, this last spring, spring of 2018 and uh guess who gets a call but five years later hey uh, we got a renewal on this grant we'd love to have you work with us again all right so leaning in kind of worked all right so that was the spring but by the fall and I got paid on that job but I bid less and I promised less because I felt guilty so I started to hang back started to lean back you know there's a crazy thing about leaning in when you work for yourself. I mean, nobody's giving me a promotion, right? I mean, somebody like Sheryl Sandberg is working in companies and she can leverage her worth by jumping companies and saying, hey, look what I did over here at this company, which she did, and pay me more at your company because I'm now a best-selling author and I'm worth even more. Well, you know, in the world of most freelancers, we really are reliant on, you know, client budgets. Client budgets are dictated by who knows how many levels of people. All right, so this lean in, women work and the will to lead. I'm doing all that stuff, but I'm getting pushback come six months ago. Uh, We can't really afford you anymore. 
what do you mean you can't afford me anymore? I, I, my, I actually am better than I was, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be an egotist or an egoist, but, you know, I feel like I, my, my rates are fair. And so as the fall continued, more and more clients kept kind of pulling back. And I was watching this happen, knowing that it was because of my, of, you know, my rate and people want to do things for less. You know, there's always a question of what value means to people. And so I faced this really strange moment shortly after I launched this podcast that suddenly there wasn't money coming in. So I kind of have to make a decision here. Okay, so I'm the primary wage earner in the family and I can have fun working on this podcast and uh, talking about the great the great inner workings of my uh, my day to day questioning or I can I don't know, you know, maybe pay the electric bill, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe keep my credit cards, uh, at bay, right? All those types of things that, that started to become a reality. We started eating the food in our freezer, which is good. I encourage everyone to like eat the food in your freezer. Cause it's just been sitting there for a long time. It's like, you know, you know, clean it out every once in a while, but this was kind of like, all right, we need to make some choices. And I'm starting to sell all over the place. I'm like, all right, who haven't I talked to in a while? Who can I reach out to? Who, you know, who can give me work? And of course it's, over the holidays now and nobody's hiring nobody nobody's calling back so I am forced to take time out throughout that process needless to say more worried about the day-to-day life the lower planes of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs uh, and less interested in doing the creative work that I want to be doing with this podcast and with my writing and with all sorts of other things and even still the clients really haven't shown up. I mean, I started teaching, which is really kind of cool. But the day-to-day work, I'm, you know, I've got a couple long-term clients that are keeping me keeping me afloat, but it's not ample. And so I leaned in. I mean, and I leaned in so far I was bent over, basically. So here I sit, trying to figure out, okay, what the next step is. And then it's interesting. Because if we want to think about this in karmic terms, right? I mean, when did I start this dramatist space? But you know, really in earnest a little over a year ago and, you know, a few years ago when I really started, but last, you know, the beginning of 2018 was when it really kind of kicked in. So they gave me six months of goodness. And then by the end of the summer, it was like, all right, you say you want to do that stuff. So here you go. We're going to give you plenty of time. We're not going to give you money to fund it anymore, but we're going to give you plenty of time. And this is an interesting thing because I'm looking at this as kind of the Red Sea parting, right? So that, I've priced myself out of that market only to clear space so I can walk into this new endeavor, this new space, which is this podcast, which is my playwriting, which is my teaching of playwrights and my my acting work and and I've just I've been working with a local theater company I just formed a theater incubator there's a lot of interesting things that are starting to pop up because I've got the brain space to think about so maybe there is something you know to maybe not leaning in right now that's a hard one I'm a presser but maybe it's time to just hang back Getting to be time to hang back and, I don't know, folks, let's just watch the sparks fly. 
Well, that was another um, pleasurable walk down the Primrose Path with uh, with you folks. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank my producer, Andy Schneider. And I want to thank Cheryl Sandberg. I want to thank Ricky Lake. I want to thank a lot of the strong and interesting women that have influenced my thinking. Uh, Anne-Marie Worth-Cashon. Yeah, I mean, all these all these really great, great women out there that are leaning in and hanging back and hopefully not bending over. Or if they are, it's... It's by it's their choice, <laughs> something like that. But uh, you know, I think I think I want to do like some kind of closing closing mantra today. I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little hard pressed because it's it's been more nonverbal lately and a little fret fretting fretty, a little worrisome in the in the existential crisis house. But honestly, I, I'm seeing big things. I'm seeing. And maybe it's just because I'm an optimist, uh, you know, that it kind of comes with the name. But I, I just want to encourage you guys to, when you're feeling, when you're feeling starving and lonely, check what's in your freezer. There might be some cool stuff that you totally forgot about and you need to eat. So, till next time, look after yourselves.